Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and this is the show that attempts some holistic brain surgery on some wonderful guests. And today we meet Bake Off winner, presenter and writer Nadia Hussein. There's no word for sex. There definitely isn't one. Not that I know. I don't even know what it is because I don't think I've ever used it in front of my parents. So now, whenever someone's pregnant, I make my kids go, go say, go, go say she's pregnant in front of Nan. Mm. They're hideous just like me. So I'm like, go on, <laughs> go. There's so much going on in this chat, but one thing I can promise, you will stand up and applaud at the end. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And now, here's the show. you to come on the podcast for so long this is a really nice moment for well, me thank you for having me thank you Nadia how are you today I'm uh, tired just a little mm. bit tired not sleeping much mm. just there's just a lot of stuff to do all the time is that overthinking brain yeah I've seen you on Instagram before going like I've been up since three hit around in my kitchen look at my new cupboard and I'm like that's me I'm that person yeah, who wakes I'm... up and sits in the kitchen at that time yeah that's I because when when I'm awake and I'm I can't just lay in bed no like, like some people can just lay in bed no if, if I'm awake it's like there's a day to be had so I can't like I can't waste the day so I I get up and a couple of I had jet lag a couple of weeks ago and I just that was my excuse to work and my husband just said honestly I will pin you to the I'll staple <laughs> you to this bed just yeah. stay in bed or you are never going to sleep and I had like five nights of not sleeping but it catches up with you and it feels a little bit like it might be catching up with me just be- and it yeah. does just before sort of Christmas it just feels like everything catches up with you a little bit so I'm not good at I'm not good at doing nothing I am awful at it mm. honestly Nadia I I'm the same my husband will just he'll lie in bed or he might even he might even go back to sleep which I just seem it's impossible for yeah. me to do that my brain wakes up before my body so my brain starts going this today that tick off list this idea that, and it's just it goes and yeah. I really feel like I can't control it I know I could and I could meditate more etc but it I think you've just got one of those runaway train brains or you don't and we yeah. have them I think it's that whole f- kind of I think it's partly fear of missing out because you're like yeah. no I want to I want to like I don't want to for me I don't like wasting a day yeah if I'm awake then I just feel like I could be productive and sometimes it's counterproductive because actually what you're doing is running yourself into the ground which is what I feel like sometimes I have weeks where I'm like oh I'm so I'm so good at this <laughs> I can do this whole mom work you know kind of like run life and then suddenly I kind of last I was I sat there last night with a cat and she was looking at me and I was looking at her and she was like are you tired and I'm like yes I'm yeah. tired and she's like me too 
And then she was fed up as well and she left. And then it was just, yeah, it feels like it's kind of go, go, go. But it's good. It's always, it just reminds you that you're alive as well. Yeah. And it's all right to feel a bit tired, I always think. You know, if I'm a bit, I'm a bit tired, so I think, that's all right. It's fine. Yeah. I'll just know my limits today. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. I've been very much enjoying your book, Finding My Voice. And the title immediately jumped out at me because mm-hmm. it's a notion that I've been really thinking about, I would say, probably all of this year. And I think for a lot of people probably of our age, I'm a little bit older than you, but of our age and... Um, we, would and have with, been in, we would have been in school together. If yeah, we yeah, yeah. School, yeah. So yes. I would have been, you know, say four years above you at school. But yeah, roughly. I would have seen you in the canteen Yeah, or yeah, we would have been, yeah. Um, and I think a lot of us are feeling like we want to find our voice. And I know especially like women can vote now and you know women can have a career and be a mum and all this stuff but we're still finding what our bespoke voice is and I I wonder what that notion means to you. Well I think like it's not always about a direct comparison because I think I've spent a lot of my and I talk about it really openly in the book about being a girl and like that's the only direct comparison I can make to kind of all the other kind of people in my life like my dad and my husband and my brothers you make that direct comparison you think why does it why does it always seem easier for them like why is it that they can do everything they do and make it look really easy like why can't I just accept the roles that I play and the jobs that I do and just you know and just get on with my day without putting so much pressure on myself but I think it's not just a physical thing I don't think it's just because I'm a woman I think it's just I think we all have this kind of inner voice that kind of is sometimes it sits there kind of at the tip of our tongues desperate to get out and other times it sits quite heavy on your chest and I think as as a woman uh, and all the roles that we play as women um, it's that voice is always there and sometimes Mm. it's really loud and everyone hears it and other times it just niggles in the back of your head and I think we've all been there and we've all experienced whether you're a man or a woman I think we've all experienced that voice that kind of the one that tells you you're not good enough or the one that tells you that maybe you should be doing more or sometimes like just occasionally mine will say hey you're actually okay at this very rare Mm. very very rare but the, the the one time my voice might say, oh, you might be okay at this, you're, you're kind of doing all right. It goes away very quickly. And then I'm kind of flooded with all the other kind of negative thoughts that are always um, there telling me that I'm not a good enough mom or I'm not doing a good job. And that's, like, I think we're all, as humans, we're all looking for that voice. And whether it's loud or whether it's quiet, it's there. And I think we have to kind of acknowledge that it does exist. You know, mm. it is there. I had this this exact conversation yesterday because I was really struggling with this one yesterday. Mm. And I was feeling like I wasn't being as productive as I like to be. Like I'm usually kind of a bit hyper creative. I, I have to keep creating things constantly. Otherwise, mm. I feel a real lack of contentment. And I was really beating myself up about, you know, I'm not doing enough or I'm not there's not enough forward movement right now. And I was chatting to a very wise friend and I kind of came to the similar conclusion that that you're talking about where often my voice, like the truth, the real one, is really quiet and it's like over here and it's just saying, you know, you're fine, everything's Mm. cool, don't rush. Then there's the loud ones and they're telling me you're a piece of shit and you're not doing enough, you're not productive and it's such a shame that usually the louder ones are the really negative ones and we have to go really deep in and listen to those quiet quiet ones and 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 that's our truth and that 
that's kind of finding our voice in a sense that we know that's it. Do you find it exhausting? It. It's you, exhausting. It's you, inner conflict constantly. Do you find it exhausting? Because I just... Exhausting. Because I totally get where you're coming from and I can... I kind of... I we Anyone who's listening to this is going to get this. They know mm. they are going to feel this because we all... And I think we're shy. We're too scared to admit that that voice... Like you want... We want to appear confident like we know exactly what we're doing but we've all got that voice in there niggling mm. away saying you are not good enough. But it's exhausting. Why are we not talking to each other? Why are we not saying... You know, we all have this voice and it just beats us up every single day but why are we not saying that it's exhausting and actually I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let it kind of get to me every single day because it is because just hearing you say that is making me feel stressed out (laughs) (laughs) I know but this is it I think we like you say we're all living with this inner dialogue that's so relentless and and often like I'll ring someone like this wise friend to look for outside reinforcement someone that can say no no just listen to the quiet voice but I can't do that on my own and that frustrates me that I can't just link into what that voice is. And I'm not saying this is an omnipresent thing. Sometimes I don't feel like that. And more recently, the older I'm getting, I've, I'm moving into a new stage which feels really empowering. And it mm. might slightly contradict what I've just said, but I feel like I'm now finding my raw. Mm. Not just finding my voice. I'm going to roar. And I've got stuff mm-hmm. to say. And I want to say it. And it's not aggressive. It's just like... Hear me roar. There's like mm. something that needs to come out. And I'm really enjoying that. So I'll have bad days where, you know, there's lots of loud negative negative voices. But that roar is like starting to come out. And I and I feel like certainly with your book, my God, you are roaring throughout. Like you're speaking your truth. And mm. I and I wonder when you had that moment of going, I'm ready to talk. I'm ready to to say my bit. I was never the kid that would just just be told this is what you're doing. I'd always ask why or why are we doing this or why, you know, my dad, we'd have certain rules in our house and I'd ask my dad, but why? You know, I talk about my dad and he doesn't like being called dad. I say, and even now I struggle to, because he doesn't like being called dad um, and we have to call him Baba. And he, he was like, I was like, but you've got to explain it. You cannot just tell me that yeah. I can't do something and not explain it to me. So um, <clears throat> I've always been that kind of mouthy kid that makes it difficult for their parents. And my other, the other five aren't like that. It's just me. Uh, so lucky for my dad, it was just one out of the six that would constantly question him. And he hates it even now. He goes, when I go to his house, he says, you've got one question, that's it. Like, he will not let me have, that's my quota. Yeah, yeah, One question, yeah. he's like, no, 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 one question, I'm not answering. And I want a long answer. I'm like, you better give me a good long answer. Um, but yeah, I don't, like, I think I've always been that kind of, I've always been curious. Mm. Um, and there was no point in my in in my career where I thought, wow, this is the time to write this book. I think, I think that voice has always been there. And I think it's always been something that I've, and I've been writing for years, so I've, you know, I used to write monologues um, in college and I've always found ways of expressing that voice, but not necessarily in this way. So um, it was a big leap for me because I can't hide. You, know, you, you can when you write a cookbook, you've got beautiful photos and food and shots and introductions and it's all sweet and it's lovely. And um, and that's a lovely process. But this is I have nothing to hide behind. These are just work. You know, the, I mean, there are recipes in there, but there's recipes from like when I was a kid or something from that chapter just to share and mostly that's for my children because they get to keep those recipes that are kind of immortalized in mm, the book I love that. um and there's a bit of poetry at the beginning of every chapter but to be able to write something like this and not hide behind recipes and beautiful photography um was very different for me I bet it was really scary I bet but it's that you know you're <clears throat> Although you get a sense of that vulnerability reading the book, it still feels like you're very confident in 
telling your story and bits of it are hard. It's yeah. not always an easy story. There's some lo- like it's a beautiful roller coaster throughout of you know nostalgia and lovely moments, but some really tough stuff as well. And yeah. I wonder if that has helped dissipate some of the pain around that, or if it was just for you about eradicating you know heavy emotions like shame and and all those things that we feel about mm. stuff that we didn't want to look at in the face yeah I'm, I had to question myself there was a moment so I've written it in chapters so I've got like the earliest chapters are being a daughter and it's all different roles that I've played in my life it's really I was like that was the hardest bit I was like actually how do I chapter this book like how do I it's not about making it different but how does it how do I chapter it so it says what I wanted to say and so it was all the different roles that I play in my life and so being a daughter a granddaughter a mum being a baker um, being a um, a, a, tw- a Twitter hand you know, just being a handle a username you know mm. and all of those things and we all can there are different roles that we can all relate to so it's not necessarily for one specific group of people you know a- any one of us could pick up the book and like relate to any of those chapters so there are really difficult I, t- I mean it's, there's li- there's light subjects in there and and you know I, I joke and laugh a lot in the book about my sister like I've got in the uh, in the sibling chapter I label all my brothers and sisters as one of six and two of six which mm. they think is they're like what we couldn't even have names I'm like no it's just more fun because <laughs> I kind of just I call them one of six and mm. two of six and and it just yeah so I have a laugh with it right at the start of the book again probably one of your lighter moments although the story is quite severe in a sense <laughs> you talk about your dad and your arrival onto planet earth if yes. you wouldn't mind sharing that and you do <laughs> tell it in a way that made me laugh out loud but I thought whoa wait a minute how has that impacted you yeah <laughs> so I talk about I can laugh about it now believe me when I was much younger I used to honestly I, w- I said to my dad I will kill you in your sleep dad <laughs> I did. I said, Dad, I will kill you in your sleep. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, maybe I deserve that. Mm. Um, so I'm one of six. And in our culture, having a boy is very important. Now, I know no matter how much people want to deny it, it is very much alive and kicking in many communities. And my mom, bless her. So she had her first daughter. Then the following year, she had her second, pregnant with her third. And they're like, right, this is going to be it, right? We're going to have the boy. We are going to have the boy. And then I was born and I came into the world very quickly, apparently. And uh, my dad's very first words were, bastard. Mm. Mm-hmm. There, there she is. There she is. Oh, there she is. Bastard. <laughs> and he was going out for a fag. Yeah. And, and, and he was like, ah, okay. And he's, I, you know, when I, whenever I ask my dad for this story and he tells me it and, and it just, as a kid, it used to upset me. But as a grown up now, I kind of feel sorry for him because he, he he couldn't control the you know the gender of his child. Although technically, apparently, it's the man that that controls the gender. So we can blame him. So we can blame him. So I was like, "Your fault, Dad." But I can't go into that. But when I when I was born, I, I felt really bad for him. As I got older, I realized actually, you imagine how he felt. Like he maybe he wanted to be happy that he had another healthy, happy child. You know, maybe if he hadn't that plant had that seed hadn't been planted in his mm. head that he needed a boy, perhaps he would have not said those words and would have been ecstatically happy to have his third daughter. And, you know, that that seed was planted in his head, just like many, many others. And I felt kind of sorry for him because he mm. had to make that call and kind of say, you know, I've had a girl and, uh, and, and my granddad's like, 
pretending to be deaf but you know and he knows that and and just I felt bad for my dad and mm. I think even now I feel really sorry for my dad and he always says look I've always loved you I don't I didn't care that you were a boy yes I wanted a boy but I I still loved you and mm. he did he did in his weird wonderful way he still loved us he didn't mm. care that we were girls um but that was instilled in him from a really young age he grew up in a village amongst people who valued boys and didn't value women and yeah you know what I wish my dad was the man that said hey watch yourself they're mine they're beautiful and i love them and i don't care that she's a girl he wasn't strong enough to do that um and so i used to feel sorry for my mum because when some people asked her how many kids do you have she said like four girls and two boys you know and i i just like come on why could you not be strong enough just to say yeah i've got four daughters and they're beautiful and wonderful and i love them and they're equal to my boys they just want strong enough to do it and well, this is generations and generations of the same indoctrination that you know how do you find that strength to to change the course of how you live and and it seemed throughout the book in not just that way in lots of different ways that there was a culture clash between what your parents believed and the and the new modern world that you were living in and you had to kind of navigate that throughout and i wonder how you feel about it today like what which traditions and and um and things that your parents have heavily believed in have you carried on and and what things have you thought you know what i am going to make changes for me and my family well you said i'm still navigating i'm still navigating through them it's not always easy um but i think if you you're like i i always say why were I, I i've had these arguments with my parents i always have this debate with my parents i'm like why didn't you why could you lot not be the change why did you lot not just say no we're done no we're going to make the change and so when they whenever the, the answer was well we couldn't you know we we couldn't make the change we we you know this is what we this is how we've been raised this is how we've been taught and that's we can't change that well thought well you know what it's my responsibility to make that change so i i decided from that point on that when i have children if i ever have children that i was not going to be like them um and there's lots of things my parents have taught me that ha- i have taken into adulthood with me but there's lots of things that i've decided to kind of leave at you know as soon as i kind of hit adulthood motherhood i was like mm, this is the stuff that i don't want to keep um and like the food i'm just saying i'm going to keep all of that because, keep yeah. the f- keep every bit <laughs> of, the, of food. the food please the food i am happy with so like some of the traditional kind of bangladeshi cooking is oh. that's the stuff that i've taught my kids yeah. and you know little things like um sitting down and eating on the floor just it kind of grounds you and it mm. humbles you using your fingers to eat just knowing what you're eating what you're touching it gives you a different appreciation for the kind of simpler life so my kids still when they eat rice and curry eat on the floor with their hands and and I love that because that's a tradition that my dad kept on so I love all of that mm. but you know things like you know you're not allowed to call so you're not allowed to use your husband's name so in our culture you don't use your husband's name because he's a man and out of respect you either kind of you address him with um so I would I if I'm around my family members I have to call my husband whose name is Abdal I have to call him Musa's dad or Dawood's dad or Maryam's dad so he's the father of my children but I can't use his name and so do you are you on board with that one right so uh like in front of like my dad hates it so occasionally i'll use his name and usually it's mostly to rile him up because it gets him really angry i'm like oh look at his face look at him blow. he's going to blow he's going to blow so occasionally sometimes i'll just throw it in there but that's the one i've really struggled with mm. uh because my no i have never known any family any woman to ever use her husband's name so in front of my sisters and stuff i will use his name um but even in front like my grandma it would kill her 
she's 90 something years old it would actually kill her if I used his name in front because it's so ingrained yeah. they really struggle and there's no word for pregnant did you know there's no so there's no actual word for being pregnant so you have to kind of say she's sick wink wink Wow. Yeah, you don't actually say the word because it would mean that you are admitting that somebody had to have sex in order to get somebody pregnant. Wow. So you don't say, there's no word for sex. There definitely isn't one. Not that I know. I don't even know what it is because I don't think I've ever used it in front of my parents. Wow. But the word pregnant. So now whenever someone's pregnant, I make my kids go, go say, go, go say she's pregnant in front of Nan. Mm, so they're I like, love they're, that. They're, I mean, they're, they're hideous just like me. So I'm like, go on, <laughs> go. I was like, go say pregnant in front of Nan. And my mom's eyes, she's like, <gasps> Oh my God, why have you just used that word? So she hates it. So there's little things like that, which I think lots of people are surprised by. Because mm. I think if you don't talk about these things, people don't know about them. Yeah, and- I, I was completely ignorant to that, I'll be honest with you. And I I really respect the struggle that you've got with that one. Because you <laughs> want to respect your nan, who she's not going to change her mind at that age. No. My My grandparents aren't alive, but... In a very different way, they were not going to change their minds about certain things that they had lived through, that they had understood, and I wouldn't challenge them because I didn't feel it was appropriate. Yeah. So I respect that you've you've got a lot on your plate to to deal with and decisions to make that perhaps your parents felt they couldn't. Yeah, it's a constant battle. Like I just what I've accepted is that there's no uh, right or wrong. There's no easy way. Um, and so I've kind of just kind of accepted the balance, you know, that there's there was always, there's always going to be an element of juggling. There's never going to be just a straight kind of, this is who I am and this is how it's going to be and this is how I'm going to raise my kids. I just, I've accepted that that's not how it is because there are, you know, I am Bangladeshi, you know, I'm British, but I'm also a Muslim. So kind of juggling all of those things together as a family, like we, um, you know, it's really, it's, it's always going to be a juggle. It's going to be mm. constant. It's and, and there's always going to be that element of battling constantly. And I've kind of come to accept that because I think it's easier for me just to accept it rather than saying I'm just one way or this is this is how I'm going to do it. There's no point because it's never been that straightforward for me. I've always constantly had to battle the being British, being Bangladeshi, being Muslim because, you know, even now in the last four years over, you know, in my very short career, you know, I've constantly have to justify being British. I constantly have to justify being Muslim, being Bangladeshi and I'm kind of fed up. It's like... I bet you are. Why, why do I have to constantly justify? Like, I I can't do I can't do a fish pie and 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 put sweet potato on because I'm I did a Cornish pasty two years ago and the Cornish pasty police really got me they were like but why do we have to be in a box once we've defined as anything that's the thing that I certainly struggle with and and I'm sure that feels like you're in a straitjacket a lot of the time why do you have to be this because you have a certain religion or your parents are from whatever part of the world it doesn't matter why it just seems like no matter what I do there's always going to be somebody who's going to say well actually you know I have to constantly validate you know my existence and say well actually I am British enough and I have to constantly prove that I'm British or Bangladeshi or Muslim and I'm kind of you know part of me wants to prove that I am but who am I proving it to and Mm. how do I prove it because you know I I did a Cornish pasty took the sweet out and put the apple in delicious and um i got the cornish pasty police on social media and they were like you can't do that to our cornish pasty you can't call that a cornish pasty and then i looked on their website and they had a chicken tikka pasty and i was like there you go um babes also i'm sure there's plenty of people that have fucked up a curry out there yeah. so i wouldn't worry about it yeah yeah i'm sure they have people exactly. that have put frozen peas in a curry whatever they want grapes and you're grapes and you're not there going excuse me that's not how we do it. No, do you know exactly. what I mean? That's not how in Bangladesh my grandparents have taught me how to make exactly. a curry. Exactly. So I think 
on behalf of all of us, you can lose that stress. Okay, I can put an apple in Cornish pasty. Do what you want. Do what you want. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, this whole series is sponsored by Rightmove and... That's one of my obsessions is just scrolling the internet for new houses I'll never As buy. I, but do you ever... I, I do feel like I'm cheating on my house all the yeah, time. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I'm, I'm going to have a sneaky peek. Always. Let's I'm have just, a look at this castle in Scotland that I'm never going to live in. Let's see, what, <laughs> let's see what else is out there. I'm always cheating on my house every day. Uh, heavenly. Yeah. Heavenly. Um, in the book, you describe growing up at home... Mm. Um, not just as a place. You didn't describe the bricks and mortar. It was a full sensory experience and and you and you really eloquently put that across about the noises that were there that became almost silent because they were just there all the time mm. and the smells and the comfort and the feel and even if it was something that you didn't like it still became something that was so familiar that it was loved yeah and and I I absolutely adored that part of it and well, actually, before I move on, first of all, can you describe your family home to us growing up? You know, what what was that experience for you? So we were one of I'm one of six. So you imagine like there's already six of us in the house, and then there's my mum and dad, and we had every pet you can possibly think of: rabbits, chickens, just budgies, what you need, just like you know. Yeah. So we 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 had lots of animals. Um, but my dad, uh, when we all got together, so we'd get together every weekend. My dad would dig a hole in the garden stick a pot outside he'd buy a whole sheep chop the whole sheep up cook the whole thing outside my mum would cook the rice inside with the four so we only had like a stand you know the standalone cookers and she'd stick the rice on this so these pots are so big my dad still has them I can sit in them and my sister wow we can both sit in them so she would and every weekend like it was mayhem the only way to describe my family home was mayhem. There was always, and the door was never locked. So there was always someone coming in, someone coming out. I'd do my nut in. Yeah, that would drive me insane. My door is firmly locked. Oh, babes, it's locked. Sometimes <laughs> the curtains are closed. Yeah. <laughs> That's me on Halloween. I'm like, yeah, same. I'm not in. <laughs> I'm too scared. Yeah, I'm closing the curtains. Um, yeah, so she, you know, it was mayhem. The door was mm. unlocked and nobody would ever, like, you would just, it was, and, and we had, like, a downstairs bathroom, which is really weird. So you kind of have to vet who's coming in and out of the house. And the, t- and the amount of times I've run through a house full of people in semi-naked in a towel. It's like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, why are there people in this house? And my dad is, to I think people are like stray cats to my dad. If 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 you see a stray cat and it needs feeding, he will feed it. And he's I think people are like that for him. So he would have guys that would work for him that didn't have somewhere to live for two weeks. He'd say, yeah, 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 come on over. Yeah, we haven't got that many people in here. Come on in. Come and sleep on the couch. Um, so it was mayhem, but it was... I, 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 I love the thought of it now, but I remember being a teenager and thinking why won't these people go away Mm. like I'm trying to revise and I really don't need this many people in the house and like the responsibility of if you have like we even now you know if I go to my mum's house and we have a and mum's house is still open door and people will come in 
and then we have to make tea for them. So everybody gets tea, makes some samosas, so everybody gets fed. And it's still the same. And as much as I hated it as a child, now growing up as an adult, like I love, I don't have that many people knock on my door. But the few that do, I love it. And mm. I love that they can come and they know they've got a warm house. They can sit by the radiator. They can have a cup of tea, have some samosas. And I have become my mother. Oh, we all do. Yeah. Babes, I started doing my Christmas shopping in October and I used to mock her for that. And mm-hmm. it's like, we just, we that's what happens. We yeah. become our parents. We do. And there's no dodging it. We no. can really try, <laughs> but it's in there. It and then um, looking at your home today, how does it differ and, and what's the feel of your home? Well, I lock the doors. Great. That's always good. Um, but I think, well, it's not as big. So when we had our extended family over at my mum's, on a weekend, we could have something like 50 people in the garden wow. all, every weekend. I kid you not, every weekend. Uh, my poor mother. Like, imagine poor having to cook for that many people, the onions and the... Well, we had to help as well. Pots and pots of garlic and ginger just to cook this massive curry outside. Um, now, less so. Weirdly, I, I have a hole in the garden as well, but for a much smaller pot. It's really weird how you become your parents. Mm. So all of the things that I hated as a child, I have now started yeah. doing. And I... Um, my neighbours, like I've got amazing neighbours and they now come and knock. They're like, are you, are you? I mean, the difference now is they text me and say, are you around? Always Can text I first. Always, yeah. Always. Um, We're not in the 70s, guys. Yes. Text first. Yeah, so <laughs> they always text <clears throat> now. They don't just knock. But it's kind of starting to feel a little bit like my mum's house, but less busy. But nice. it's, I think our kitchen is our is our central point in our house. And that's the place where everybody hangs out. If it's just kind of propped up by the worktop or sat on the dining table or just messing about with the cat in the conservatory, it's lovely because it's just to me like that. This home has has to be your safe place. And yeah. although as a kid there were so many people in my house, it was my safe place. It was mm. a place that I was safe of most kind of like the bullying and all of that. And so for me, you know, like that's what my home has to always feel like safe place for my kids, uh, for my husband, but even for my friends. You know, like even for my neighbours, if they want to have just come over somewhere just to kind of say, just let off some steam. That's really important for me and my family. So, mm. um, and, you know, I live about 25 minutes from my family, which is kind of a good space. Good space. 25 minutes is good. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess you massively noticed all of that familiarity when you had to leave it. Because mm. when you married Abdel... You had at this point met him twice, am I correct, before you met him? Yeah, so we got married the third time we saw each other. That was when we got married. So we'd only seen each other physically twice. And for maybe four, three, four minutes. I mean, you had this huge upheaval, which luckily has ended up beautifully because you're happily married with three gorgeous children. Yeah. But you had this huge life moment where all of a sudden you weren't in your familiar surroundings of your parents' mm. very busy, hectic house. You were in somebody else's very hectic house, yeah. somewhere else in the country altogether. And, yeah. I, and I'm and i sure this was a bit of a trigger for you and the panic that you'd already experienced in life, having nothing remotely familiar around you. Yeah, I think you, as, a, as, a, I think as a teenager, because I was only just coming out of teenagehood when mm. I got married. So I was only 20 when I got married. So I was only just a kid, really, myself. And I think as a teenager, you kind of... Um, it's really easy to hate your surroundings and think, oh, there's something much better out there. And then suddenly when you're plucked out of that that thing that you hate the most, when you're plucked out of it and put somewhere else, you realise how wonderful it was. And I think I definitely had that realisation that actually I've been fighting my parents and I've been kind of just mean teenager all my teenage life. And then suddenly when I was plucked out of that situation, I realised how much I loved them and how much I missed them and how, how much I depended on them for my kind of, just to, that sense of safety. Mm. Um, 
and it was a choice it's not like i kind of it was it was a kind of weird semi arranged marriage because my it, my father-in-law and my dad they'd worked together as teenagers they moved on went their separate ways and they got reacquainted many many years like 15 years later and as they do in our, in our culture like hey so i've got this son hey so i've got this daughter so shall we and um it just kind of worked out that way and we started talking for about 6 months and we didn't like it wasn't even like the kind of talking that would warrant courting even it was just so what's your 10 year forecast do you ever want to have kids you know it's just like very grown up practical very practical very practical he had a good job he was yeah. earning money i thought oh well you know and he's like i intend on getting promoted and you know i i i'm, I'm going to get promoted so i was like so he ticks all the boxes. He works for me on paper. And um yeah, so it was very, very formal and it wasn't it wasn't definitely wasn't a love story, if any. I would never call it that because it wasn't. Um and and then he sent me a picture. I was like, he's quite good looking. That helps. Big tick. Yes. That helps. <laughs> and that was it. So we got, the first day we saw each other, we got engaged. Second day uh was when we actually got married to so have the Islamic wedding and the third time was like 10 days later when we had the actual ceremony and that was it so in total I'd probably only spoken to him for about 12 minutes before we got married and I know that sounds insane I know that people will be listening to this and thinking that's mad you cannot marry somebody you've only known for 12 minutes it's it's madness and it is now that I think about it it's like what were you thinking like, why would you do that to yourself because if my kids wanted to do that I I would know not going to happen. I'm not signing anything off. I'm like, no, not going to happen. You cannot marry somebody you've known for 12 minutes. It's just impossible. We were very lucky in that when I we got married, I said to him, you realize this is forever, right? You're stuck. Yeah, I'm I'm, not, I'm going nowhere. And he goes and, and say you said same for me. I, I don't want to get married again. This is it. We're stuck forever. So we kind of promised each other that we have to stay with each other. Luckily, it turned out that I quite love him now. So it's oh, okay. I'm so glad um, it worked out all right. But you know, a lot of a lot of my decisions, big decisions that I've made in life were not because uh, they were kind of, I was almost forced into some decisions, mainly because like when I was 18, I wasn't able to, so I wasn't able to go to university. And I, like, so my, when I got into university, I was two weeks away from going and my parents said, just point blank, you're not going to university. And like, at the time it really hurt. I really wanted to go to university and I was really angry with them. But I do that kind of passive aggressive angry. I don't do the whole shouty, shouty thing. I don't shout at anyone. I don't, I didn't, I didn't shout at them, especially not in that moment. I don't know why I didn't have the energy to shout anymore because I think I'd got to a point in my life being told constantly that you can't do this. You won't do this. This is not appropriate. Girls don't do this. I think at that point I got so fed up of being told that I can't and being yeah. told no I just I think I stopped fighting I was like oh, you know what forget it I'm not just not going to fight you mm. anymore and then um, I didn't go to university but I did that whole passive aggressive thing and I got three jobs and then I, I was never at home and my mum mm. would feel really bad and she'd say you know you're never at home and I said yeah but this is what you wanted like I'm not at home I'm working but I'm right here where you can see me and keep an eye on me so you got what you wanted I'm happy working thank you very much did that whole passive aggressive thing and I said what next so you tell me seeing as you're dictating everything you tell me what's next and my dad said yep you're nearly 20 you're getting old now time to get married I was like okay um, I mean 20 come on mm, you're a baby I know and um, <clears throat> I love that even though you've been told know so much yeah. in life and even from when you describe the sexual abuse story at such a young age mm. again you know being suppressed and being told this is how it's going to be you've just flourished and, and and expanded and just you know become the biggest version of you you can which I think is remarkable mm. considering you were 
you were kind of kept in this pen for so long in certain ways, emotionally yeah. and whatever, that you've you've just grown naturally anyway and yeah. done what you needed to do. And I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, and no, I think I was, I, I always look back and kind of, I always try and appreciate where my parents have come from because, you know, I was loved in the way they knew how. You know, yes, it wasn't the traditional, conventional way that I would have liked to have been loved, I suppose, because what I wanted was to be equal. I wanted to be like my brothers. I wanted to be uh, the same as them. I wanted the same opportunities as them. So you can imagine when my little brother went to university, I just lost it. I was like, what? What? Um, but Did they, that give you more drive, though? Is that why you've done so well? Is it because uh, you wanted to challenge it? I think I've always challenged you know, whenever somebody said I can't do something, I've always said, no, I will do it. I may not do it right now, but I will do it. And I think eventually I did go to university. So, you know, for me, that was something that I always had to do. So I had to get that out of my system. So when my dad said, oh, I'm really, oh, should I pay for one of your terms? I'm like, no, you will not pay for one of my terms. That ship has sailed, father. You will not. Love. Passive aggressive every time. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think as an adult now, you know, I can look back at some of the decisions my parents made and feel angry with them. But I don't feel anger because I... They loved me the best way they knew how and they were they couldn't change the way they were raised. And yeah, I would have loved for them to make those changes, but they couldn't. And that's mm. okay. But, you know, because they didn't make those changes, I was able to make those changes for my own children. And, you know, I have to appreciate that my parents, they were immigrants. Um, they, you know, they came to this country, a place where they didn't... My dad was really young when he came here, but my mum was quite... You know, she was a teenager, so she didn't speak the language. She didn't understand the ways. She didn't... You know, it was unfamiliar. It was mm. cold. It was difficult. Same for her parents. So she... You know, it was it was not easy for her. And then there, there I was, her little... British child who was desperate to go to university this that was a whole world away from what she was raised around yeah. so for her she was scared she was scared that I would be a part of a world she knows she may as well have sent me to the moon mm. like to her I could have been going to the moon mm. that's how alien it was for her so I have to appreciate that now as a mother that what she the decisions she made yes perhaps I didn't like them but she made them because she's an immigrant and she was scared and she was afraid and she made those choices mm. and that's you know what that's that's okay I've made my peace with that Mm. Uh, all I can do is learn from it and make those changes for my own children. Now, my kids may want to go to the moon in a few years' time. Am I going to tell them no? My heart is going to say no way. No way you cannot go to the moon because it's scary and I've never been to the moon. So if I haven't vetted it first, how will you go? But my mouth will say yes. My mm. heart will say no, but my mouth will say, you know what? Yes, it's your dream. You go do it. And something terrible could happen, but it might not. You might mm. just live you know, you might just have a wonderful experience and it may be something that you... you know, I never want to tell them no. Mm. And so, yes, I would have loved for my parents to make those changes, but I can make those changes now. And in the hope that the more hurdles that I knock down for my children, I'm not, I won't knock them all down because they'll have their own hurdles. Um, you know, they'll knock hurdles down for their children and generations to come in the hope that, you know, they, they're allowed to dream, you know. And my dream is, you know, it's... Yeah, it feels like I could have dreamt and I could have been somebody long before this four years but you know this was my time and it this was, was meant your to timing. be it was this... meant to be so I wonder if now considering your success and what you've achieved and this mm -hmm. might be on quite a shallow note but do you feel equal no no I don't I still I think I think that's a big fight I yeah. think that's a big fight uh that we're all fighting together uh, and it doesn't matter what community you're from or where you're from I think it's a fight that we're all still I mean we're still fighting for equal pay come on so we have a long way to come and we're in it together and as long as we're 
fighting that fight and we don't stop talking about it, I think we have to forget that this isn't just my fight. This is our fight and we've got to fight it together. And that's really important. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. I just, I think we all need to be fighting it together. I mean, at the end of the day, whatever any of us are doing in life, we're two knackered parents yep. going through mm-hmm. the same shit as every other parent in their family home. Bed sharing, um, bed sharing. Bed kids. sharing. Oh. oh, God, it's an absolute nightmare. And you're still going through it and your kids are way older than mine. I've got yeah. all this still going on for like the next 10 years. My 13-year-old still does it. I'm sorry. There may, <sighs> no, there may not be any light at the end of that tunnel. I can't hear that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of us feel like this, especially this time of year. It's quite a tiring time of year. What does give you that impetus to get up, to do this book promotion, to keep making TV shows, to keep challenging yourself in new ways with your cooking and baking? You know, where mm. where does that come from? Um, I think I think if it's there, it's always there. And I think it has always that need to constantly... I think if I hadn't faced so many challenges, I, th- I don't know that I would have this fight because every time I wanted to do something, whether it's a new, whether it's a career or a job opportunity or university, you know, I've, somebody's always told me no. Somebody always says no. And, you know, I work in this, I work in this industry where I work in the food industry where, you know, here I am, five foot one, Muslim, brown Bangladeshi girl who turns up and everyone turns around and looks and says "Mm, do you know what I don't know if there's any space here for you because I work in an industry where it's Caucasian middle-aged men who you know dominate it so when I turn up they're like "Mm, yeah there's no space here for you and as if I'm not as if I'm not aware of that, as if I'm not already aware that somebody's going to tell me no or say you don't belong here because I've spent my whole life being told mm-hmm. I don't belong or I'm not British enough or Bangladeshi enough or Muslim enough. So, yeah, I think that's what drives me. You know, when every time, every, I'm so used to being told, no, you can't, that before you can before you can even say no, you can't, I'm going to say, hey, hold on a second. I'm here and I, I intend on staying. And I think that's what I think before anyone can say no to me, I'm... I'm there, ready, stood, poised, saying, I'm here. Now you can try and kick me out, but I'm staying. Um, so I think that's what drives me. And I think there's this thing that I do with my kids. Uh, I, we say it all the time because, you know, growing up, you know, they are British, Bangladeshi, Muslim children, and they will face their own hurdles. And there are moments in their lives, even now at such a tender age, where they felt like they don't always belong, where they feel like they don't know where they're, wh- whether they fit in somewhere. And there's a thing I say to my kids all the time. I say elbows out, elbows out. Um, And that's not just, I mean, if you think about it, if you physically put your elbows out, you realize, you know, that's you saying, you know what, I'm here and I'm staying and I'm making space. But it's also about, you know, in here, like in your head, tell yourself elbows out. And that's what I tell myself when I think I can't do something or I feel like I don't belong and I feel like I don't have that drive anymore and I feel like giving up. I say, no, you know what, Nadia, elbows out, because if you don't create space for you, how will you create space for others? You got shit to say. Yeah. You better make that space. (laughs) Because Nadia is here to say her piece <laughs> and too right. Yeah, we have to. We all have it. We have it in us somewhere. Yeah. We just have to find it. And that's really important. And I need my kids to find their voice. And I need my kids to know that there's a space in the world for them. Mm. Because when they're 18 and they're not mine anymore and they're ready to go out into the world, I want the kids to say, my goodness, she raised some good human beings. Mm. And that is all I have to give to the world is my humans. And that's it. Um, Nadia, I I mean, this. I need to do a part two at some point yeah. because I haven't... <laughs> There's so many more things that I wanted to ask you, but um, 
time whizzes when you're having good conversation and um, that was a really good one so oh, thank, thank you. you so much for your time thank and, um, you. and thank you for writing such a beautiful book thank you <laughs> what a way to end this series thank you so much Nadia her book Finding My Voice is available now and it's a must read we're taking a short break now to prepare for series six be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts to binge on our back catalogue in the meantime. And to discover when we're back and who's on the show, find us on Instagram at Happy Place Official. Thanks again to Nadia, to the producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio and to you for listening. I massively appreciate it. Thank you so much. See you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.